Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and today I'm here with Rod Backus. Hello, Rod. Hey, Warren. Thanks, thanks for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. So Rod is, is with me today uh, really to tell part of his story and for us to maybe get to know him a little better. And Rod has a story of, of, of redemption and resurrection and, and new life. And I know that as he and I have, have talked about this, this topic, that, that, that we believe that, that everyone has that in yeah. Christ, that everyone everyone experiences hopefully a sense of regeneration or, or new life in Christ and and I think your your story is, is a great picture of that and so we want this to be to be focused on on those aspects of things today on on the resurrection on renewal on redemption that we have in Christ and and so that's going to be the focus of our conversation and, and we'll tell some of the backstory or, or Rod will tell some of the backstory right. of, of kind of what led him there, but we may not get into all the nitty gritty kind of, of that part of his life because we do want this to be focused on kind of what, what brought him out of that and, and what God is doing in his life now. And so first of all, Rod, thank you for being able to, or being willing to share your story with us and, and contribute in, in this way. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's good. Yeah. So, Rod, some of our, our family uh, may not know you real well. So, so to start with, can you just kind of maybe tell us briefly how you ended up at the Vine? I know you've you've been kind of hanging out with us or part of uh, part of the family here at the Vine for maybe six months, maybe six months. Okay, if that, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Four <laughs> months. The first time you came to one of our events was actually the initiative, right? That's exactly right. And then that was not too long before kind of COVID stuff started. Right. And then you've kind of been around during COVID. So, so what brought you to the Vine initially? Uh, initially, it was, uh, you know, it was through Jillian. You know, she had, um, she had contacted me and said that she was going to do the guy that came from ACU. Yeah, Richard Beck. Richard Beck. And she thought that I would be interested in that. So she had invited me to that. And, and I came up here and, 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 and participated in that. And then, um, you know, Jillian and I weren't together at that time. We weren't a couple, we weren't partners. Um, we were just friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was my kind of introduction to the vine. And then as time passed on, uh, Jillian and I, um, decided to become partners. <laughs> so she had been coming, you know, here for a while, I think maybe a year and a half now. I don't know. For how long? But uh, she invited. Time is all messy now post COVID. Like right. I, I don't even know what time means anymore. Right. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but she she said, "Hey, I really would. Uh, I would really like you to come worship with me." And I was I was like, "You bet. I, I I'm willing to do that." Yeah. And that's so great. that's how that's how I ended up here, and I, I love it here. Um, very welcoming, great people. Um, always a good message on Sundays, uh, whoever's preaching. And, uh, yeah, I, I've just really enjoyed it. Um, it's starting to feel like uh, a family to me. Not, it's not quite there yet, Sure, but it's yeah. getting closer. Well, like I said, you did come in at a weird time. Right, kind of right. In-person right. gatherings weren't happening. And right. I'm looking forward to next, the next month, July, on Wednesday nights. I'm yeah, looking we get forward to all, together I'm, every I'm looking, July, I'm really looking forward Wednesday. to all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's... Uh, I know that I've I've enjoyed both you and, and Jillian being being a part of, of life here at the Vine, and y'all have both been been a tremendous blessing to 
to our church family, to our gatherings, and, and so we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, so you grew up in the Houston, you grew up in Houston, right? I grew up um, uh, in League City, so around League, City, League okay. City, around the Houston area. That's where I grew up from. I left there and moved to Dallas about two weeks before my 18th birthday and was kind of, that's the, the place where I got on my own. And how long have you been in this area, in Temple? I came back to, I was born in Cameron. Uh, my mom, uh, my grandparents, her parents uh, lived in Cameron. Um, I was born in Cameron. I came back to the Temple because my mother was living here in 1986, 87, somewhere around there. So I've been back here for quite a while. Yeah. Was that 34, 35 years, something like that? Yeah. So. Okay. So how about, uh, it's just a couple of get to know you questions. Do you have a favorite food? Steak. Steak. Yeah. Just, just steak. Steak. How do you like it cooked? Rare. Oh, <laughs> rare. Bloody. Ooh. Yeah. Well. I ate one last night, actually. Did you cook it yourself? I did. Rare steak yep. cooked yourself. Yep. You're a brave man. Yep. I would, <laughs> that's not something I would do. Yeah. I could, uh, eat, I could eat steak every night of the week. And just for, just for Jason's benefit here, since he's not with us today, you said you're a Rangers fan, right? Yes, most, most definitely a Rangers fan. <laughs> not a fan of the Astros. Rangers, Cowboys. Yes. So grew up in Houston, but somehow ended up yeah. Rangers, Cowboys fan. R- Rangers, Cowboys fan. How did that happen? Um, my mom was... Uh, just died in the wool Cowboys fan went to the games when when the Cowboys became a team you know at the Cotton Bowl that's when they played their first seasons and so she's just died in the wool you know Cowboys fan so she passed it on yeah I come by it honestly that's right well (laughs) we're off to a good start then yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so um so like I said we wanted to kind of uh, give you give you the opportunity to share some of your story and, and as I said, we wanted to kind of focus on, on the renewal aspects of that, but, but just so, so everyone can kind of have a picture of, of where you kind of came from and what you came out of. Can you tell us a little bit about, so, so what happened? What, 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 what's the kind of context of, of what, what you needed to be redeemed from and, and brought up out of? Okay. Um, I guess I'm going to kind of start off with a little bit of a disclaimer here. Um, you know, I belong to a fellowship, uh, and, and that's a 12-step program, and, and that's Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but I want to make sure that, that, that I say that I don't represent Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just a member. Gotcha. I'm just a member. Um, so with that being said, um, you know, I, I, had my, uh, I had my first drink at the age of 13. Um, this was in the seventies. I lived in a neighborhood in League City. Um, back then, um, it, it seemed like every house had a bar in it. You know, the parents all had their own little, you know, little bars in their houses. And uh, a friend that lived just a couple of houses down from us um, had a pool table. And during the summertime, we were over there shooting pool and. We got the great idea at the age of 13. You know, there's probably some that were 12, 13, 14 years old shooting pole that we were going to go get into the bar. So we got over there, and um, I had my first drink of something brown. It was some kind of whiskey. I don't have any idea what it was. I just know that it was brown. 
and uh, you know it burned my throat and I could feel it in my belly and everybody was kind of laughing and everybody went back to shoot pool and I went back over to the pool table but about 10 minutes later I went back over to the bar by myself I snuck back over there to, to, to get another pull on that, on that bottle. I knew from right then that I was going to do a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. It, it made me feel a certain way. It made things right inside of me. So you remember that moment, that distinctly? The distinct moment of taking that first drink. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure do. So from there, it just progressed, you know. Um, to, um, you know, to, to other things. I mean, when you're 13 years old, it's, it's kind of, I mean, you can get alcohol if, you're, if the parents aren't around, but it was easier to get other substances than it was to, to get alcohol. So, um, you know, I, I experimented with, with um, you know, starting at the age of 13 uh, with anything that you can think of, I experimented with um, alcohol, drugs, whatever. So that was the start of it. Um, got married, had five children, um, had a great job working in the corporate world. Uh, I was in the IT field for 20 plus years. Um, I, uh, to be able to get to get that job, though, I had to I, I had to be able to pass a drug pass a drug test. So, at the age of 23, all the drugs were were done. So I, but the drinking continued, mm. and um, I was able to lay down the drugs without any problem. But uh, the alcohol was just it was a constant in my life up until the up until the day I quit <laughs> that I quit drinking. <laughs> It's just kind of the way it works. So, so we'll, I want to come back and fill in some of that story. But what? So, how long is that? When, when did you quit? Okay, uh, first drink was at thirteen. Last drink um, was October the 29th of two thousand and fourteen. So, uh, thirty-seven years. Thirty-seven years. So, alcohol is is a constant issue for you. For 37 years. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. If, I wouldn't have called it an issue at the time. It became an issue at yeah. the time. It was, it was, it was, um, it was my God. It, it did everything that God does for me today. It took away the, the, uh, the resentments. It took away the anger. It took away uh, the jealousy. It took away the fear. It, 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 it just, it worked perfectly. Hmm. For, all, for, for decades. Uh, that doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of problems in there and there wasn't a lot of consequences for it, but it, it, it did what I needed it to do. It filled whatever was lacking in me, it filled to a T. Hmm. Because if I had, if I was, if I was worrying about something that had happened yesterday or last week, or if I was in fear of what was gonna happen tomorrow, all I had to do was take four stiff drinks and, 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 the, and the world was perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. I was good. You were good. The world was good. So, so, so tell me then about kind of what happens. Cause if, if you're, if you're looking, if you're looking to alcohol as your God and mm-hmm. this, this fills everything I need to fill. Yeah. That's, 
that works until it doesn't, right? Correct. And and it, it I'm guessing it at some point you realize this makes for a very poor God. Did did you did you realize that in the moment or like what what happens where you kind of where things where did where did things start falling apart, I guess? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question because um yeah, I had a lot of great times drinking, right? But there was a point where, and I, I can't tell you the year, but there was a point in my drinking career, and that's what I call it, a, and that's what we call it in AA, a drinking career, because we make a career out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point in my drinking career where I, where I crossed this line that I didn't know existed. And um, that line is I, I, I started drinking against my will, I could see the wheels starting to come off, right? I could see that, that my wife was going to probably leave me and take our children, that I was going to lose my job, that I was going to lose our house. I was just, everything was going to be gone. I could see that out in the future. So that's when I started to make a, a, a concentrated effort, you know, on self-will to not drink. And that's when I realized that, that I'd crossed this line where I'd lost that power of choice and that I could not not drink, if that makes sense. I just could not not drink. So you, you, lost the, you, you truly lost the ability to be able to make that choice for yourself. Yeah, that choice. Was, and I, and, and I've lost, I lost that choice, and I will never gain back that choice. So it's not something you could go back to now? And, no, yeah. no. I've, I've lost that choice for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that, that's the way that I believe it works for me. Now, yeah. somebody else that's suffering from alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever it is, they may think something differently, but that power of choice is gone for me. It's no longer there. So uh, that, and I can't tell you, I would probably say the last 15 to 18 years of my drinking career, I drank against my will. Where, and when I say I drank against my will, I would, you know, my, my, uh, my wife at the time would be like, hey, we have to we have to do this at this time. Can you please not drink? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to drink. I know this is important. I'm not going to drink. But then an hour later, I'm lit up. I'm knowing full well. And I did not want to. I always say it this way. After some um, consequence, bad consequence would happen from me drinking, I would swear off and say, I'm never going to drink again. I'm sure we all have this, 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 this disease of alcoholism touches every family or, or drug addiction touches every family. There's no family that's untouched. I believe that, uh, in some way. Um, but what I'll, the way I would say it was you could hook me up to a lie detector test and, and, and ask me, are you going to drink again? And I'm going to say no. And it's going to register that I'm telling the truth because right. in my mind, I'm not ever going to drink again. This consequence was so horrific that I'm done. But an hour later, a day later, a week later, whatever it is, you know, I'm back to it. Yeah. Well, I think even if it's not alcohol, I think we all have those things that it's like, this is my hang up. This is my issue. This right. is whatever 
that, that I know isn't healthy for me or that I know I, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And for some things that may be, you know, quote unquote, relatively small, like I'm going to get to work on time. For right. You know, right. And then the next morning, it, right. it doesn't happen. Yeah, you're hitting snooze. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so I think that happens kind of in big and small ways, probably in, in all of our lives. But, but so you said you could see these things coming of you kind of recognized I'm going to lose my, my wife, um, family, it's, house. It's all going to be gone. And then eventually that did happen. Yes, right? it, all those things. Yes, it did. So did that happen gradually or was it just kind of the bottom falls out and it's all gone? Uh, it, I mean, it's, I think it's a gradual, you know, if, if you're living with an alcoholic, an alcoholic is just a tornado that's just roaring through everybody's lives, right? No one's untouched from it. Um, I think that, that, um, you know, my ex-wife today, uh, she, she took as much as she could take. And then one day she was like, my life's more important and my, chil- and my children's lives are more important than your life. And we're done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that happened a couple of years before I quit drinking. So, you know, it was just a steady decline, you know, for, for years. And then it was just a steep drop off. The last two years of my drinking career were, were just a, it was just a lot of pain and suffering um, for everybody. Um, but yeah, the bottom just dropped out yeah. and it was, and that was it. So how many, so before that time, before your final drink, um, were there were there other attempts that you made, kind of serious attempts to say, all right, this this is it, I'm I'm done. Uh, not not there at the end, not in the last couple of years, there wasn't. But but throughout my drinking career, there were always times because, like I said, there right, would be yeah, right. there would be consequences, you know, getting thrown in jail, getting a DWI. Um, like I said, like you kind of said at the beginning. Um, you know, doing some thing, doing things that, that, you know, hurt people. And so there were all those times where I would swear off, uh, but it's, it's just a vicious cycle. Um, in AA, we talk about it. Um, you know, you're restless, you're irritable and you're discontented. Right. And that's a cycle. Mm-hmm. And so you're restless, you're irritable, you're discontented. You know, what's going to fix you. All you gotta do is drink. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're not, you're not feeling that way. And then you go on a binge some something happens that pulls you out of that binge some consequence from you drinking and you swear off right i'm never gonna drink again this was so horrible so you swear off and and you do you stop for a day or a week um and then and then you start feeling restless irritable and discontented again and so what do you do you drink it's just a circle you go in and i did that for decades one time I quit for 112 days, and I know that because it was, it was a hard 112 days mm-hmm. because I was doing it on willpower. I was a dry drunk, and at that time, um, my ex-wife was like, please go to the liquor store. Go buy some liquor. This is, oh, wow. And I was like, I told you so. I told you you wouldn't like me sober. You know, so it just kind of just feeds on itself. It's just very destructive. I'm not only sick, but everybody around me starts getting sick. Mm. So it's just, it just destroys everything or it can destroy everything. Well, that sort of makes me even think of kind of the the sermon text from last Sunday where Paul's like, 
I think I mentioned this in the sermon, but to me, in, in that part of Colossians, Paul is basically saying your religious life can't be just a list of don'ts. Right. Um, and so, like, it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. Like, if you just repl- if you just say, I'm, I'm not going to drink, but don't yeah. replace that with anything. With anything, yeah. It, it left you in, in kind of a, a broken state. Basically. Oh, yeah. When I got sober, my first two years of sobriety, year and a half to two years of sobriety, I was still mean manipulative, narcissistic in a certain way. I had all the character defects or shortcomings that I had when I was drinking. I just didn't have any alcohol in me. Mm-hmm. They were all still there. Yeah. So I don't need alcohol to be the person that I was being. It just added to it. That's, so, that's the thing. In AA, once you kind of get in there and you realize there's a part in the in the literature of AA that says our liquor was but a symptom. Mm. We had to get down to the to the root cause, right? And the root cause is it's me. I'm the problem, mm-hmm. right? Not not the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so I do. I want I want to get to that work that you're able to do on yourself. But we kind of kind of tie up one more kind of piece of, of that story before we get to that. You said your last drink was October the 29th, 2014. I'm guessing that because. Uh, when I was in the hospital, um, so how how did you end up in the hospital? Um, the last probably um, this is when it gets kind of gritty. The last um, six to eight months of my drinking career, uh, my divorce was final. Um, I had no place to live. Um, my oldest daughter offered to let me live with her um, in an apartment, her apartment. And it got to a point where I was, it was just really bad. I remember that she had told me that she had called my mother and said, I can't do this, he's killing me. You know, emotionally, mentally. Um, and she goes, what do you want me to do? And uh, my mother told my daughter to put me on the street. So, um, because my mother was done already. She so was you, done. You've pushed everyone away. I have pushed everyone away. Every, all that stuff that I could see in the future happening was all coming to fruition now. It's all, everybody's leaving. Mm-hmm. Just, to, just to save themselves. And I don't. I don't blame them. I don't, I'm glad they did it because if they didn't, if they hadn't done it, I might not be sitting here today. So, um, my mom, my mother was just like, put him on the street. Um, I ended up getting into, um, a hotel over on Midway, the super eight on Midway. There's a taqueria right there, Midway and I 35. It's a super eight there room one, one six. I have it tattooed on my arm here. Uh, just as a reminder. Um, and so I was in that, in that hotel room for a few months at the, at the very end, um, just, just really trying to drink myself to death. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I still to this day don't know exactly how I got out of that hotel room. I know that my, my oldest daughter knows how I did and uh, my ex-wife knows um, but they, they were able to get into the hotel room and, and, and get me 
out of the hotel, get me out of there. And, and I came to in the hospital. And um, they were asking me if I knew what month it was. And I was like, no, do you know what day it is? I'm like, no. They're like, do you know what year it is? And I'm like, I think it's 2014. It was just those kind of questions, right? So when they told me it was October the 29th, 2014, I was like, I was like, okay. I'm like, how many days have I been here? And they're like, you've been here three days. And I'm like, okay. So I just picked that day as my sobriety day. We got to have a, I have to have a date so I can celebrate it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I picked October the 29th, 2014. So that's... Almost what seven years ago? Then. Yeah, it's coming yeah. up. This October will be, October uh, will be, seven, be seven years. years. Yeah. 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 That's great. No alcohol, no drugs. Strongest thing that's been in my body is ibuprofen and Tylenol. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as, as I said, so you, you've experienced, I know, a lot of just renewal since that since that time. What oh, yeah. what has that been like? How has God been a, been a part of that process for you? Oh wow. Um, in so so many ways um you know i was i was you know after i I got i was in the hospital for for a while and after i got out of there my mother was was um nice enough i guess to say hey you can come stay with me uh for a couple of days but you need to go into a treatment center and from getting divorced and having to sell any, everything, I had money. I had some money. So I, uh, I, uh, I called um, Christian Farms Treehouse here in Temple, Belton area. And I wrote a check and I stayed there for 90 days. I just had, and, uh, and that's when I kind of had my first um, experiences with AA. And my first thought was, this, this, this can work, maybe, if I throw myself at it. Um, so I stayed in a treatment center for 91 days. And then uh, I, left, I left the treatment center on, a, I think it was a Friday morning at 11 o'clock. Um, my mother came and picked me up. And uh, she dropped me off at the AA clubhouse, where I still go you know, four or five times a week, uh, to meetings at, um, and I haven't, I haven't ever left there. Um, so I guess going through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, working the steps, got in, got me in contact with God, if that makes sense. Did you have any kind of faith before that point? Foxhole faith, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I, I say that because I, I don't even know if that's the right word to use. I know that at, at, during my drinking career, I had tried everything that I could think of to try not to drink. Mm-hmm. That at one point in my drinking career, I was like, I'm going to go to church. This is this is going to be it. Um, and that was around 2002, 2003. It was a small Baptist church, uh, pro- that was actually one mile from where I lived. Um, uh, went up to the altar, altar call, uh, confessed that Jesus Christ was my Lord and savior, believed it, mm-hmm. uh, but continued 
to drink. There was no change. There was no, there was no transformation. There was no, I just, my drinking actually got worse. Um, so there was that part of, 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 of faith, knowing, um, well, I say knowing Jesus, but not really knowing Jesus, being introduced to Jesus. But there was never any, there was never any, uh, Personal contact. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's, that's so they, that you use that wording that you came in contact with God through AA. Yes. What, what does that wording mean for you? Um, for me, it means that um, in my first year of sobriety, it was really, really tough because. Um, Everything, the, the one thing that I had relied on my whole life, my whole adult life, was alcohol to fix me. Mm-hmm. And it no longer worked. And that's part of my story, too, is at the end, the alcohol just didn't work. It didn't do anything for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd gone to the hospital for the last time and gotten out and gone to the treatment center and gotten out of that and was going to AA. And, and uh, you know, my parents were, were for, they were, uh, they set me up in this little bitty farmhouse where I live today and and it was just so lonely out there and and um, I, I did not have the desire to drink I really had a desire uh, to not drink but I would have these 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 shouting matches um, it was like it wasn't actually shouting it was like screaming at god at like two o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. just so much so and cussing god screaming and cussing at god and and carrying on at two o'clock in the morning um asking him you know i don't have the desire to drink but i can't live this way i i haven't there's no way i can live you know this way uh this is miserable um and I think that was the, the start of, of getting into contact with him, with God, was that, um, you, know, you know how you're driving a car, right? And you're going down the street and there's a bird up in front of you and you're screaming at the bird to move because <laughs> it's going to die? I'm pretty sure that's how God felt watching me live my life. So there was a point in these in these two and three o'clock a.m. screaming, crying, cussing things that, that, um, I I don't know, that God started to become real to me. Mm. If that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. And you know, you, you, you mentioned earlier, I think you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, that liquor was, was a symptom. Is that what you said? Um, yeah, it's not the problem. It's just a symptom. Right. And so, you know, you, when you said that, and also when you mentioned kind of having a memory of your first drink, mm-hmm. like what it made me think of is that, so like I've never struggled with alcoholism like that. Right. But my, my issue, my symptom when I was, especially when I was in high school and, and college, was pornography. Right, right. And I remember I was about the same age, 13, when I was at a friend's house. He got into his dad's stash of, you know, the old school porn magazines. Right. I remember looking at that for the first time. Right. And, and some of those same kind of feelings. Right? right. And then I remember in college having this thought that I'm, I'm looking for something. When I engage this, I'm looking for something that it can't provide. 
Right. I didn't, and it's a, it's a need that needs to be filled somewhere else. And, and I convinced myself I can fill that need through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, it, you, you convince yourself that it can for a while, and so you keep doing it, but then you realize it's not actually filling it. It's yeah, kind it's, of it's masking it's something masking or it numbing over, right. something. So you have to get into it more and more and more and more. And it takes more of it to quote unquote, quote unquote fill the need. Right, yeah. But really it's just masking and numbing. Exactly. And, and so you've got to find... So what is it that I'm trying to, to fill? Right. And how can I do that in a healthy way that's actually doing it? <laughs> right, right. And, and it sounds like that's what you found with, with kind of relationship with God, that, that there was a time when all these things you were, you were hoping to find out of alcohol were kind of doing it, mm-hmm. but just masking and numbing it. Right. And did, then, I'm, did you eventually find that all of those things could be found in, in connection with, with God? Is that kind of where you came to in faith? Yeah, that's exactly where I finally got to, but it didn't happen overnight you know sure, and it's and it's, right. and it's still it's still just a, it, I'm st- I still feel like I'm uh, you know I'm on a journey and I will be for the rest of my life um, you know it's um, I, I'm still a work in progress um, you know and I you don't have to be an alcoholic to be this way but I'm an all-or-nothing kind of guy you know um, so I threw myself at the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and I just saturated myself in it, in the literature and, and doing what we're, we're asked to do and, uh, to, to help another alcoholic. And, and, and I just, I just, I read the, all the literature and I just memorized it and I just soaked it in. I, like I said, I saturated my body with it and it worked. (laughs) Right. And I, and I, and I got in contact with God and, um, you know, slow, so slowly my life started to change and, 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 um, you know, my children, some of my children came back into my life. Um, Jillian came back into my life because we had been together when I was still, when I was drinking and, uh, you know, she came back into my life. Uh, you know, I, I was able to get a job and start working again. And, and these, so these little changes were happening, but there, um, there was still that underlying, I call it an underlying angst, just an underlying, still restless, irritable, discontented. Um, and like I said earlier, I could still be the, the mean, uh, manipulative, um, person without any alcohol so i'm doing this all i'm doing i'm still having these these um character or these character defects these shortcomings are still showing up in my life with no alcohol so i'm like man what's going on something's not right here so what so was it was it the aa kind of program that helped you deal with those things no it kind of it it wasn't that's the that's the kind of scary thing about it um for i think it would be scary it's not scary to me but it's might be scary to some AA folks if they listen to it, if they listen to this podcast. (laughs) uh, I'm going to kind of veer away from AA a little bit. Um, AA became my God, if that makes any sense to you, right? Because, you know, uh, in AA, they do a really good job of, I don't know if, if, if you've ever, it's called a higher power, right? right. Yeah. Now he, now the, 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 guys that formed AA use the word God a lot in the literature, but they will use the word higher power, right? So it kind of, 
and, and that's to help the people that really come in that just really don't like God, you know, that don't want to have anything to do with God. And they were, I think they were just trying to get, get to reach as many people yeah. as they could in a you soccer. You have to recognize something beyond yourself. Something bigger than yourself, right? Something bigger than yourself. So a lot of people use AA or use, uh, they say God, a group of drunks, right? Sitting in a meeting, G-O-D, group of drunks, that's God, right? So there's all kinds of different things. Um, that there's a line in the literature is, is your own conception of God. So that appeals to a lot of people, people that were raised in religious church homes that rebelled against that because all they heard was the hellfire and brimstone stuff uh, or whatever. So, you know, when you say to somebody, well, won't you just treat, create your own conception of God? People like that. Um, I liked it. You know, so the, the man that guided me through the steps was like, why don't you write down the, the character traits of, of your God, of who you want your God to be, your conception of God? I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, so I write down all this stuff, right? And it worked, and it worked up until about five years of sobriety, and then it quit working. Because there was nothing in, in what I wrote down. What I did was I created my own God again. Mm-hmm. It wasn't alcohol anymore. It was a God that I created yeah. and it just didn't, it just, it quit working. It worked up until it didn't work. So I, uh, I was like, mm. I, I went to therapy, um, at, at five years sober, I went in, back into therapy. I was like, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to see if, if this guy can, you know, if a therapist can help me out here with it. Uh, with just some different ideas and he pointed me in some directions um, but but it's it's funny because I, I went back to the big book to find the solution that I, where I'm at today and there were some lines in there and it, and it talked about following the dictates of a higher power and I was like dictates I'm gonna I, I kind of clued in on that word and I was like, I don't have any dictates in my higher power. The one that I created, the God of my conception didn't have any. But the God of my conception didn't, wasn't offending me, wasn't correcting me. I was still saying, I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to love you. Mm. I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to forgive you. And that wasn't working for me mm. because I still had that underlying still angst. Holding on to stuff. Holding on to stuff, right? Still, still getting resentful, and I mean, am I going to get resentful? And yeah, of well, course yeah. I. Yeah, I mean, because we're all human, right. but but not to the point where I don't have the luxury of staying angry very long. I just don't. Mm-hmm. If I do, bad things happen. I don't want to ever drink again. I just don't have the luxury of of being angry or being resentful. I yeah. I don't have that. So no, I know you've told me that before that you, you don't hold grudges. You, and, and I, I think that's that's kind of the thing. I think that's where. I think your your kind of redemption story is pretty evident that I think anyone who knows you now, like mm-hmm. if, if someone knows you now apart from your story, right. like you're just you seem this very positive, optimistic, upbeat, kind guy. Right. And it's like, you know, to, to hear this story, I think that's what makes it right. like a compelling kind of story of redemption. Yeah. So 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 I guess it's it's is it kind of you coming to your own kind of understanding of God that kind of helps you get to this place of, of being able to not hold on to that angst and, and anger and, and those types of things? Uh, yeah, it was actually just it was just actually starting over and at five years 
of sobriety and saying, okay, I don't know anything about God. I don't know anything about the AA program and just starting over from scratch mm-hmm. and just being open-minded and willing. And um, the only thing that, 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 I, that I thought that I could look at was God's Word. And that's just, I, just, I think God, God, God calls us, right? I mean, I can scream and yell at God and cuss at God and yell at Him and, and call on Him, but he, call, he calls us, I believe. And, and I think that there was a calling there, and, and I was led back to, to God's Word. Um, from, you know, walking into church in 2002 and 2003, you know, there was, there was 18 years of, or, you know, 17 years of, uh, of a conversion process that was going on. And it finally, there was a conversion moment where I was a believer, but I wasn't a follower. Mm. And now I'm a believer and a follower. And that was my conversion moment. And that's when did that, that, was there kind of a specific moment where that happened, or was it kind of a build? Um, I don't think it was a specific moment, but I don't think it really built up too long. I mean, there was that 18, 17 or 18 years of, of yeah. whatever, but then it was just like, it was just, it was just, when I made the decision to look at God's Word as authoritative, mm-hmm. that it was all true, that I wasn't going to cherry pick it anymore. Um, that that I made the decision. I was all about Jesus being my Savior, right? Mm-hmm. I'm all about that grace. Yeah. But the Lord of my life? But when I made the decision to say, hey, I'm going to make you the Lord of my life, that's when it, that's when it, just, it just flipped. It's, mm-hmm. it, it flipped. And then that, that angst was gone, right? Mm-hmm. That... that because God word, God's word tells me that I have to love my enemies, <laughs> right? That offends me. Yeah. But I don't want to hurt God's feelings, man. I, I don't want to be, it's not about, you know, it's not about legalism. It's not the do's and the don'ts anymore, right? It's not, it's not, um, I just don't want to hurt God's feelings. I'm, I, I love God. I'm in love with God today. I'm in love with Jesus today. Mm, it's so it's like being in love with Jillian. I know what makes her happy. I know what makes her sad. I know what brings her joy. I know what brings her sorrow. So I wanted to find that out about God. So the only way I can find that about God is just by reading His Word. Yeah. And when and then it just and it just flipped for me. It was just like because I think I was taking a legalistic approach to it, and it's was, just not legalistic today. Yeah. Was there a scripture or like an aspect of God or? something that you that kind of you found most compelling or that you found yourself kind of coming back to as you went through as you went through kind of exploring God's word for yourself I really love the book of James because I think it's really practical it's just yeah, like be yeah. slow to speak and quick to listen you know <laughs> let your yes be your yes and your no be your no mm-hmm. don't be double minded yeah right but I think it was pretty much the sermon on the mount is really mm-hmm. you know the Matthew 5, 6, and 7 there, just really. But when I read, you know, when I would read it, you know, years past, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really getting the, con- I didn't know the context of it, but the more I've studied and the more I've read, and now it just, it just become, it just became real to me. I, God, be just, God became real. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Just God became <laughs> real to me. 
What's interesting that you said that about James and the Sermon on the Mount, because I, you know, I preached through the Sermon on the Mount a while back, and then after doing that, I kept seeing that like there's these things in James that connect really directly almost. Oh, to the really? On the Mount. And oh, it, okay. it almost feels to me now like James is sort of his kind of putting the Sermon on the Mount into practice. Right. Okay. Um, I like that. Like you. I feel like it seems like I think actually um, Bill Knight, who is one of our elders, right, right, moved. Yeah. He was one that kind of clued me into that, so I won't take complete credit for it. But he was like, you know, it's like I think, I think there's a lot of this stuff in James, and right. uh, I was like, yeah, it seems, it seems like I think you're right. So, right. Yeah, it's interesting that those those two would be the ones that stood out. Cause I That's what they, stood out to me. It was just, it was I just. Think there's a connection there. Yeah, it just, uh, it's just been, I, I can't get enough of it. Like again, like I said again, uh, like I said before, you know, I'm kind of all in, you know. I saturated myself with AA, and now I just want to saturate myself with with God's Word. I'll be reading books, you know, spiritual books by different people, and I'm like, sometimes I'm like, why don't you just go read God's Word? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll do that sometimes. I'm just like reading this great, and it's a really good book, but I'm just like, why don't you just go to the source? You know, so so are, the there, are there daily kind of practices or habits that you have now with prayer? Or with, oh, yeah. Or with devotional? What, what's, what's helpful for you as, as far as kind of like daily practices go? Um, before I get out of bed, uh, I kind of sit up in bed a little bit, and I take a couple of breaths, and I just say, thank you, Father, before I do anything. I do that every morning. Just say, thank you, Father. And then I, uh, I put my feet on the floor and go start the coffee pot and, you know, do my thing. And then at some point within the next hour, um, I make my bed. You'd have to see where I live at. It's real small kind of dormish, dorm room kind of thing going on. But I make my bed, and that's when I get down on my knees and I have a more kind of formal time with God if there's... Uh, that's the way to say it. Um, and, and most of my prayers, in the, I'd say nine out of ten uh, mornings, there's always some kind of, there's, there's, there's tears. Um, one thing that AA really helped me with was tapping into gratitude. Mm-hmm. And um, that changed my life. Uh, gratitude, being able to tap into gratitude... Um, yeah, it changed my life. It gave me a different perspective on life, a different outlook on life. Um, How so? I, I was just so, I was just never satisfied. You know, they, 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 there's a saying in AA, it's like one drink is too many, but a thousand's are never enough, you know. Mm. It's just that kind of thing. I was just never satisfied. But... Um, when I was able to tap into gratitude and just and just start looking at things from a from a positive um, through positive you know looking at things positively instead of negatively and just um, and then just thanking God for them man like I said every every you know nine out of ten mornings there's tears because I'm just like you know I'm like thank you for giving me life but thank you for saving my life right just thank you for just thank you for saving my life um, and, and, and giving me a new life, um, for redeeming me and restoring me and renewing me and transforming me, all those things, right? I mean, I could, I could tell a quick story. It's just like one time I'm standing out in front of the clubhouse in Temple 
smoking a cigarette and this woman comes up in this wheelchair and she kind of, it's one of those hover around things and she comes up and she's like, uh, she's not clean, you know, she's dirty, she's smelly, she's broken. And she's like, can you, uh, can you help me put my socks on my feet? And I was like, I looked down at her feet and her feet were bad, man. I mean, bad, bad. And my first thought was, you gotta quit smoking. Cause if you weren't out here smoking, you wouldn't have to be dealing with this right now. <laughs> that was my first thought, right? Selfish still to the core, right? Yeah. And as I'm standing there, this thought came into my mind of uh, Rod, just a couple of days ago, you were on your knees in front of your bed after you made your bed, praying that you did not know how to love people mm. and that you did not know how to be kind and you did not know how to be compassionate and you had no idea what humility was and you were begging me to show you how to do this. And as, and as soon as that thought came into my mind, I got down on my knees and I put, so you know, I put that lady's socks on her feet. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. It's just, uh, I just... So sometimes we don't, we, we want the answer to prayer to be... The way I want it. Simple and easy, like God will just download it into us. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just make me humble. Yeah. Yeah. Or make me compassionate and loving and kind without having to do anything. Right, yeah. There's this great scene in, uh, I don't know if you remember the movie, Evan Almighty. It's oh, like, yeah. It's the yeah. sequence it's to Bruce Almighty. Kind yeah, of a, right. Just kind of a fluff kind of a movie. Right. But it's got this great scene near the end where his wife has been praying for their family to be closer together and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And, and then she ends up leaving him, you know, towards the end of the movie. Right, and she yeah. has this conversation with, with God in this restaurant. God is Morgan Freeman, you know. Right. And he's, he, he has this great kind of line where he says, you know, if, if someone prays for patience, do you think God just zaps him with patience? Mm -hmm. Or does he give them opportunities to be patient? Right. And, and if, God, if someone prays for their family to be closer together, right. you know, what, is, what does God do? Yeah. And, and, yeah, sometimes when we pray for those things, we've got to be ready to, to act on them. Yeah. And that and that's been my experience. It's 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 never what I think it's supposed to be, right? Right. It's never it's not the way I want God to do it, right? Yeah. It's there's not just a, God just downloading you with a new yeah. a new kindness pack that now yeah. you can do it. <laughs> there's a great there's a great line in the AA literature that says this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Mm. And that's that's what I like to do. I just like to play God. And and I'll introduce myself is that I actually have cards that say Rod, not God on them with my phone number and then it has that that line on the back of the card so i can hand it to newcomers you know so they've got my number but yeah just quit playing god yeah quit doing but then i have to remember the prayers that i pray man yeah right that what you there's another great line another movie rudy there's a great line in rudy towards the end where he's frustrated he goes to talk to this priest or whoever it was and the guy says rudy in, in all my years of study i've learned two things about I think he says, I've learned two things. Number one, there is a God. Number two, I'm not him. Mm -hmm. that's, <laughs> that's it. That's it. And, and so there, there's kind of a question that I've kind of been wondering about since the beginning. And this may have sort of a, it may be, I don't know, it, it may either be too simplistic, too simplistic of a question or too, too vague of a question. So I'll let you, you could just, we'll see if you have an answer for it. 
but you said at the beginning that alcohol became your God. Mm-hmm. It kind of AA became your God. Mm-hmm. And, and so now God is, is your God. Not, right. not AA, not Rod, not alcohol. Right. Um, and so I think the, the perhaps too simplistic or too vague question is what, what makes God a better God than all those other things? Why is, why is he a better God? What, what makes that work? I don't know if even what makes that work is the right question, but... Why is God a better God than any God that I could create? Yeah. Well, I, I, I just don't... I don't... You know, I tried being God, and the weight of that crushed me, and it crushed everybody around me, right? I'm not designed to be God. I'm not designed to let God be God, right? Be God still. Be God. That's good. Yeah. yeah, let God be God. Be still and, and know that I am God, right? Mm-hmm. Move out of the way, Rod. Move out of the way. Just surrender. Just just surrender. Be done fighting. Mm-hmm. Be done fighting yourself. Be done fighting everybody else. And just let God be God. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I do that, things usually work out for the best, right? It's just like when, when anything's going on in my life and I, and, I, and I will start to go into a little bit of fear about it. And I don't spend too much time in fear today. I don't spend. I just don't. It's just, it's a waste of time. Uh, but I'll, I'll slip into it for a minute or two, and then I'll think about every scenario, the way something can play out, and then when it plays out the way that it plays out, and, it had, and I could not come up, and I didn't come up with any of those scenarios, I know it was God. And that just increases my faith. Mm. Just, yeah, just let God be God. Uh, he's, he's good at what he does. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's good at what he does, man. Yeah, and I think you're right that none of these other things were designed to To be be God. God, Yeah, and and so whenever we try to make those things God, uh, whether they are things that are unhealthy from their their whether they're unhealthy from the outset, Mm -hmm. or whether they are healthy things that just aren't designed to be God, right? Either of those can be problematic when we try to turn them. Right. Turn them into God. Yeah, and and I think we've been creating idols since the beginning. Right, and sometimes what 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 is needed is for us just to realize I've I've made this a God. Right, and I think that can be almost. I think there's there's a difficulty in us realizing that sometimes when we profess that God Yahweh is our God, mm-hmm. that maybe it's easy for me then to miss. Oh wait, I've made work my God. Mm-hmm. I've made whatever it is. Whatever it is, my, yeah. That's that's actually what I'm worshiping. Right. Um, even like another person or myself or, or whatever it is that that's that's possible, but then yeah. I'm, then I'm putting a weight on that 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 person that thing wasn't designed to, to mm-hmm. carry. And it will, it's not what it's designed to fill. Right. There, that is not God. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great Timothy uh, Keller quote out there that he put out there that says, "Whatever controls you is your God," mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah. So if it's controlling you, something out there. If your work's controlling you, then it's your God. You know, if your relationship is controlling you, it might be your God, yeah. right? I just want, I want to be what controlling what what is controlling me is, yeah, the great I am. I am who I say I am. I am God, right? That's who I want controlling me. Yeah. <laughs> and when I and when I let him do that, and like I said, I outgrow fear. I I I can forgive. Um, I can show grace. I can see. There's that word "show," right? I can I can be gracious. I can 
be things that are evident in your life. Right. I can be merciful, you know, um, not just showing it. I can, sh- I can show love and tolerance, but if I'm, I, I don't want to just show it. I want to be it. Right. I want to be loving. I want to be tolerant. I want to be gracious. I want to be merciful. I want to be forgiving. Mm. That's what I want me to be. That's great. That's, that's probably a good, a good place for us to, to, to pull things together today. I think that's a good, a good closing thought. And like I said, I'm just, I'm appreciative of you being vulnerable enough to share that, that part of your story. Um, I think cause it's, it's easy, especially if you come into a new group of people who kind of only see the new version of Ron right. to just say, yeah, this is, this is who I am. Right. Um, and, and it takes, it takes a level of, of trust and, and faith uh, to to kind of say actually this is this is what what I came out of right. this is what led to it so so I appreciate you being willing to do that and for for sharing your your story with us and for giving us that testimony of of what God can can do within within a life when we give ourselves over to Him right God, God is good God is good yeah. well, let me let me pray for us to close us out and then we'll be done okay great. Father in heaven, we are, we're grateful that, that you are good. We're grateful that you love us. We're grateful that we have the opportunity to, to love you. Um, God, help us to be gracious and loving and forgiving. Help us to live without fear. Help us to be patient. Uh, help us to be grateful. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.